the addiction to the idea of being so mental idea because you didn't have it when you were born like when you were a baby there was no sense of self you grew into it yeah so something had to develop that sense of self for whatever you want to call you to grow into so it was a mental process that was I like to call it selfing and uh it's the it's the uh, process that develops the idea of being a self. Maybe as an organizing principle, so we can make sense of this place. I don't know. It may have, it must have some logic to that insane system, but, you know. So it produces that. So what were you before that? You know? yeah. yeah, you don't know. Well. And then what were you before you were seemingly evenly born? So you'd have to say, there is something prior to the sense of self, you know, because you were flapping around, or somehow what, what people called you was conscious and alive, yet there was no sense of being a you at that time. You know? So I would say the consciousness that was animating you was prior to the idea of being you. So if you looked at which comes first, the, you know, the egg or the chicken, I would say... The consciousness of the chicken, you know? <laughs> the egg is a mental idea. It's stupid to put the egg in front of the chicken, you know? Yeah? Yeah. So, but the mental process, that's what it does. It sort of points to uh, this idea it has of us as being who we are. And then the activity of being what we are gets, gets claimed and, and now is expressed as something I do. Like, I'm doing awareness right now. Yeah? In other words, in a sense, I believe I'm the seer, as if there's any effort to see. If my eyes open and it's pointed in a certain direction, I'm going to see whatever shows up. So there's no real effort to see at all. But we believe we're the seer, you know? And that feeling of being a seer has like a flavor of being the doer of it. So I'm doing seeing. But in fact, if you look at, you know, if you just go over the experience, it doesn't seem like you're doing much, yeah? Same thing with hearing. If your ears are open and there's a sound, there's a recognition of that sound. I mean, I don't see how you could be the hearer of it, you know, like you're doing something. <laughs> I mean, it's a big stretch, I, I would say. So, life is brought to you by, and I'm, when I say you, whatever that is, it's not implying the you of the body. But life is brought brought to our attention by conscious contact, you know, conscious contact. Consciousness is what's in contact here. The story of Paul is that I'm in contact, yeah? I have a quality of being conscious, yeah? And the quality of, I can be unconscious. I have the, I have the, in a sense, I can go either way. Now, let's say there's consciousness, well, let's just say there's awareness, yeah? There's just consciousness, and then the you shows up, which is after consciousness. Now the you claims to be the watch conscious, and now it separates consciousness into conscious or unconscious. Yeah? It's an ungodly separation, because there's no separation in consciousness. There's just consciousness, let's say, or awareness, or let's say spirit. But when the you, so here it is, there's spirit, let's say, and then there's a mental projection that there's a you. Yeah? Here. And then the you claims to be what's experiencing life, and it also claims to be uh, the one who's conscious or not. So the you gets placed prior to the consciousness, claims the consciousness, and then it suddenly splits consciousness into 
I can be really conscious or I can really be unconscious. Yeah? And now it tells a story about life that of being really unconscious and all this shit happened. I had no idea. It was like being in the hallway of shit and fans and you don't know the shit's going to hit the fan until it hits you in the face. You know? That's like a very, in a sense, consequential level you're on. You have no idea what's going on and you only know what's going on after it goes on to you. Yeah? You don't see it coming or anything like that. Yeah? So that's a real consequential level. So, here's consciousness, and it's demonstrating in seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching. It doesn't demonstrate there's a seer, there's a hearer, there's a feeler, there's a taster, there's a toucher. It does not demonstrate that. It demonstrates seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching. That's what it's demonstrating. It's, it's, it's manifesting or being, yeah? And the being is in contact, so it's seeing. Now, it doesn't demonstrate a seer, but the mental process, when it, when it senses the seeing or becomes conscious or whatever you want to call it, it becomes aware of the seeing, it implies there must be a seer. Yeah? So, so here's this consciousness, and there's the sense of being you, which is produced by a mental process. Yeah? And now the mental process says, I'm before the consciousness. So now the mental process says, I'm conscious, and therefore it lives seemingly a life that it could be conscious or unconscious, forgetting that all there is is consciousness. It totally forgets the uh, stabilized quality of consciousness, that it's, it's not something that you add on to and subtract or diminish by spending it a lot or saving it up, you know? <laughs> I'm going to save it up, I'm going to really be conscious Saturday. Saturday's a big day for me. I'm just going to go into hibernation, which we're mostly in anyway. And then Saturday, I'll pop up and I'll be super conscious and really enjoy that birthday of mine. You know what I mean? <laughs> Come on. So, so here's consciousness, and then the you appears to consciousness. You know, in other words, if you looked at it linearly, it's the you comes after the consciousness. Yeah. But when the you shows up, it, there's a feeling that it's prior to the consciousness. And now consciousness, not seen as consciousness, but seen as an attribute I can have, or probably don't have. Yeah? So now consciousness becomes interpreted by the mental process. Instead of consciousness, in, when you're in, let's say, if your attention is laying on the consciousness you'll see the mental process. It doesn't interpret the mental process, it just sees it. But if you're laying in mental process, it interprets the consciousness. Yeah? It doesn't see the consciousness. It interprets it. Yeah? Consciousness doesn't interpret the seeing, the, me- you know, the mental process of selfing, it, it just sees it. But the mental process interprets consciousness. So, when you're rooted in the sense of being, which is not hard to be rooted in, because you are there, yeah? then uh, you see the interpretation of the, mel- the mental process. You see it. Yeah? Things happen when you see it. It's not busily interpreting it. Yeah? But the mental process is busily interpreting consciousness, giving it qualities it doesn't have, which is you're like at the lever, and if you do this stuff, you can increase the consciousness, and then if you don't, you'll decrease the consciousness. It's not, it's not like under your power, so to speak. <laughs> so, but that's what the mental process does with everything, if you watch it, yeah? 
So mental process claims. That's its first movement, its biggest movement. So when there's a recognition brought about by consciousness, the mental process claims that. So when there's a recognition of thinking, it says, I'm the thinker, or they're about me. Somehow or another, it, it lends itself to have a big role in the thinking. Yeah? When there's feeling and there's awareness, consciousness of the feeling, it's, it immediately interprets it as, I'm the feeler. Yeah? So, and then it usually goes right back into a system called the past, and it says, I felt this before. Yeah? It neuters the sense of the consciousness, the feeling. Yeah? It puts it into the past. It says, this feeling reminds me of a feeling I had before. Yeah? And it refers you back to the past, which is what? A purely mental condition. You can't see the past, can you? You can't feel it, you can't taste it, you, can, you can't smell it, yeah? You're not in, there's no conscious contact, in a sense, with the past. There's mental contact with it, yeah? Yeah, by remembering, yeah? So in, 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 in AA, they talk about resentment, which is the number one offender. <clears throat> if you look at the, the root of it, it's re means to do again, sentary means to feel, you know? So you're re-feeling something. So something happens here, the mind interprets what's going on in the event, and it says, this reminds me of a past event. And then your response, which is not a response, a reaction comes from the past event. So you're totally wholly in the mental condition there. So everything that's happening right now, you know, what's, what's actually manifesting right now is immediately forgotten and it's remembered as something that once happened which isn't happening right now yeah the thinking about it that it once happened is happening there's nothing nothing that nothing can escape what's happening because that's all there is but it can sort of escape it by think uh, by thinking about a past that is not in the way it's holding is it isn't happening yeah as if four years ago really really happened yeah that isn't actually happening. The idea that it's really, really happened is now, but it's not actually happening, the idea. <laughs> so, as soon, it's a great way to just sort of dismiss the ever-present, let's say, solution, or the ever-present uh, invitation, in, or in Sufism, it's the ever-present beloved manifesting, yeah? It's very, it's the easy way to dismiss the confrontation with the beloved, because you just immediately go right back into the past, a mental condition. So every feeling, every thought, every reaction is like a reaction, yes? A do-again action. Every thought is a rethought. Every feeling is a re-feeling. Yeah. Now, in this mental realm, there's a God playing in this mental realm. And you want maybe you want to call it self or selfing. So selfing plays God in this mental realm. So it... The, let's say the attribute of God is manifesting in being right now, yeah, in expression, it sort of just takes all the attention and interest away of that, and then it, and it, it, that interest and attention is now given over to the, the, the God of selfing, and you worship the past, in a sense. Yeah? You live, you relive. Yeah? You relive, which isn't living, really. Living is like, has a pulse, Right now, yeah? You can sense it. There's a presence. You're on. But reliving, there ain't no pulse. It's a mental pulse. Your heart could be really beating fast or really, really slow. You could be totally screwed or whatever. Anything can happen in there because your hand isn't on the pulse. You have no idea 
what is happening, so anything can seem to be happening. Yeah? So you're at the... You're, and there's no you, but whatever that, whatever you represent is at the, at the expense of that, yeah? You're just doing, you're basically reacting to whatever the mind is putting out there. So that false evidence that's appearing real, if you look at that acronym, FEAR, false evidence appearing real. How could false evidence be real? It's not saying that. It says it appears to be real, Yeah? Alright, so for it to appear to be real, it's got to be appearing to re- be real to someone, yeah? Something. Or something. So false evidence needs, like, say, an audience to appear real to, yeah? So the audience is the biggest player in false evidence appearing real. If the f- audience doesn't believe the false evidence appearing real, it's seen as false evidence, right? How much influence or effect is false evidence going to have? Not much. It has a big punch when it appears to be real. You and I are that sort of pause before it, there's a possibility of seeing as false evidence, and then there's a possibility of it appearing to be real. You're at that point. You're at the junction. You're at the junction because this whole place is really rooted in one simple descriptive word, which is seemingly. This whole place appears to be true or false to you. Yeah? So the whole reality of this place is truly based on you, in a way. Because it either appears to be true or false to you. How it occurs to you. Hmm? Yeah. Well, actually how it appears or occurs, yes? So, what would happen if you, if you were sort of in the state that all there is maybe is consciousness? Yeah? Maybe in, in consciousness there's a mental process that's happening, and that mental process... Has, is, has a movement of claiming, and if it succeeds in all the claiming, the attention and interest that could be spent or resting in all there is is consciousness is now not resting in, a, in this mental agitation of someone who's bad that must improve, there's someone who lost this terrible loser and now has to hide it out and hopefully become a winner. And all of these mental chores just show up and have a lot of relevance as soon as the heist has occurred. Yeah. As soon as the heist of consciousness has occurred, then a whole lot of shenanigans can manifest. And because there's time here, yeah, and space, the shenanigans geometrically progress. So one is sort of like if you take a trip that's 40,000 steps, obviously the most important would be the first step, because it sets the direction. Yeah? If you're going the wrong direction, it doesn't matter if you take 80,000 steps, you're not going to arrive where you wanted to arrive, and it's because it's not about effort or more. It's about calibration. It's the first step, yeah? Or in Buddhism, they talk about the solution to this dilemma of suffering and desire. Yeah, yeah, it's open. Suffering and desire is, is, the four, is the Eightfold Noble Path yeah, in Buddhism. And the first part of the Eightfold Noble Path, if you look at it in a, in a linear fashion, is right view. Yeah? What's the right view? Then it says right livelihood, right understanding, right meditation, a lot of rights afterwards. But obviously, if you look at it one way, if the view ain't right, then that right's not going to migrate into right understanding, right meditation, right livelihood. And a right livelihood's not going to produce a right view. A right meditation isn't going to produce a right, uh, the right view because it's not the right meditation. 
the meditation is probably going on and being interpreted as you doing it. That's not right meditation in a sense, based on the right view, which is that there is no self or non-self, yeah? Anatta. Yeah? So here's the right view, is, hey, there may be not this long-lasting independent separate entity. We're not proclaiming there is or isn't. You need to find out. It doesn't matter. But, so if that's, if that's in place, then right livelihood, the right migrates from the right view and instills it into your livelihood, yeah? Or sort of informs you of the right livelihood, or in a sense, your seed assignment. And the same thing, your understanding, based on the right view, yeah? The right view will infuse that understanding, which will allow you to lead to a point of vision, yeah? Because the understanding isn't complete in and of itself. It's, uh, it's there as a, like a, a waylay station until the vision gets established, yeah? A vision where you're actually seeing from the truth. You don't have an understanding about seeing from the truth. You're actually seeing from the truth. There's not much static between the transmission and the, and the uh, expression, yeah? So you don't need an understanding. But so the right understanding hopefully will lead to a point that there's no right understanding. <laughs> you can put it down, yeah? But to try to get to the vision with an understanding doesn't work, yeah? This is so simple in a way, if you just apply it, because if you get the right view down, it's going to reverberate in every aspect of your life. It's sort of like the right view... Well, there's no wrong view, but let's just use this terminology. The right view is this illuminating quality, and so whatever you're doing, if it's not like killing people, and even that, it, they've had extreme cases in scriptures where they talk about it, someone killed 100 people, and then he got it, and that was it. Yeah, He was a murderer, but then he got it, and then he was no one, which was, is everything. Yeah, But let's just say, here's the light. So the light illuminates whatever you're doing the path you're on, or the practices you're doing, or if you're not doing anything, it illuminates that. Yeah? And yet, this illumination, can't you can't take a path to get to the illumination. But the illumination will illuminate every path you're on. Like your job path, your, let's say, your mental relaxing path, your physical betterment path, whatever it may be. This light will illuminate whatever you're doing, but you can't do something to get to the illumination in a way. That's the trick. So in other words, you can't use the system to get out of the system. So if the system is you're thrust upon as the doer, then you can't use doing to get out of it, because it's part of the system, yes? You can't use thinking to get out of it. You can't use thinking to get out of thinking. That would be thinking, yes? You can't use studying about obsession with self to get out of self because that would be obsession with self. Like in Buddhism, this one master, Dogen, said that to to study Buddhism is to study the self. Yeah? You know, nice little succinct statement. And then he goes, all right, to study the self is to forget the self. Bingo. Yeah? St. Francis says it's in self-forgetting. Bingo. Why is it forgetting is so important? Because we're busily remembering. That's the whole point. That's what selfing does. Yeah, it remembers. Just because, why do you think you're refeeling, you're rethinking, you're rehashing, you're re-examining? Uh, all these things is re. They're all doing again because you are remembering. The idea of being a self is remembered. Yeah, it's not coming up in conscious. It's not 
from or of the conscious contact. It's an addition. Yeah? So the mental process has to remember you. And why does it so happen to remember you? Because you're not actually so. Yeah? That your activity would go on just as it's going on without that feeling of being a self. Yeah? So, for something that isn't so, how can it appear to be so? It's got to be remembered, right? If something isn't here, how do you conjure it up? You have to remember it, yeah? Let's say somebody you want to be here isn't here. How do you conjure that person up? You can't bring them here, in a sense, but you remember them. Yeah? So, what isn't here truly has to be remembered to seemingly or appear to be here. It can't actually be here, but it can appear to be here. So, the self thing just remembers you. That's why every feeling is referred back to a feeling that who had? You. Yeah? So the feeling is used not to remember the feeling, but to remember the you who supposedly had the feeling. Yeah? And every time you're worrying about you in the future, you're really not worrying about you in the future for that future you. It's to remember you now. Yeah? So the mind worries about you. It's just another form of remembering, just like when it goes to the past. It's not just, it's not just exclusive for past activities. It's the future, too, gets, is used to remember you. Because you're not in sense, the sense of, in the mind that, there, that you are isn't here now. It's got to be made up. Yeah? And the making up can only go to a certain point. It can appear to be here, or it can be remembered to be here, but it cannot actually be here. This God cannot create. The selfing cannot create. It can make, but it can't create. Yeah? So it can make something seem so, but it can't create it to be so. It has its limitation. And that's the last thing it wants you to see, is that limitation. So it's busily keeping your attention and interest in the process of becoming and unbecoming. Because there's never a point where there's any is. <laughs> it's like you're either trying to get out of something you think you are or trying to get into something you think you're not. It's a constant busyness of becoming and unbecoming because it covers up the fact that you're not, you aren't. <laughs> So for it to have a real influence here, you, your, the possibility of what you are has to believe it to be so. Without that, without that connection, it doesn't have the power. The power is yours, in a sense. That's being freely given to it. And then that power is being used to constrict you. By your en- entertaining self, in a sense they say like, by your entertaining self or selfing, you're in your own prison. Yeah? But you're the warden, you're the jailer, you're the roommate, you're the person in there, you're the, the lawyers that are working for your uh, pro, you know, parole, you're the whole shebang. And the funny thing is, when you seem to leave, it's a mobile prison. Wherever you are, you can set it up. <laughs> you can go to fucking... Hawaii, you can set it up there, you can set it up in Hoboken, you can set it up in Sixth and North, you can set it up in Pacific Heights. It's very mobile, it goes where you go. And because it's not so, it doesn't weigh anything, so you can just put it right up, and, there, and then you inhabit it. Yeah. 
<laughs> your great drive is there, so you'll be special and right, and probably alone. <laughs> so, like these guys talk about, you know, study Buddhism is study the self. The study the self is to forget the self. Yeah. Why do they use the word forget? They're not saying kill it. Huh? They're not. They're not saying extinguish it. Not beat it to a pulp. It's forget. Why? Because it's the perfect antidote here to remembering. Yeah? This is a dualistic expression. So this is where the poison and the antidote is. So in a sense, all right, the poison is, is the antidote's forgetfulness, so by that you can probably take it to the poison, which is remembering. <laughs> they usually go, they're like a, they're like a partnership, yeah? <laughs> you know what I mean? So if you can't get that... Or that you're just remembered, then you can go through the other door. Then why are these great people, or supposedly great people, St. Francis and Dogen and all these masters saying, it's in self-forgetting that stuff starts to happen. You can take, trace it back there. So what's the opposite of forgetting? Remembering. So I must be remembered. Yeah? And that's why the solution is to forget. How can you forget the self if you think it's you? You will not. While you're trying to forget it, you'll be remembering it like crazy. <laughs> if you're identified as it, that's its incredible. It's got a it's got a, a fail-safe mechanism, and that's it. Self trying to get out of self is a big, big form of being in self. Yeah. <laughs> it knew that its first thing was pretty flimsy. That may, many people may fall upon the idea of that, but the second lock is pretty good because most people are. They feel a sense of nobility for freedom and a drive to be like a yearning to transcend. It loves that, man. It's got a lot of work with that. Okay, let's go. Let's put him on a path that he believes it may take lifetimes to get to. Okay, that'll keep him busy for fucking a long time. All right, send him on there. Yes, you can get out of me. Go ahead. Oh, and just like me. So yes, my, what I made can leave me, the creator of it. Well, I mean, how many... So let's say five or six of your little forays fail. Why would you keep having hope that the 20th will succeed? You've got to see it's a failed system, don't you? After a while, you can't just keep turning it on you and failing because of you. That smacks of so much self-centeredness that the formula is never looked at. It's only the one who's practicing the formula that something must be wrong with. Yeah, that's why keep people in like religions and everything else. They keep blaming themselves for something not translating. You know, I don't feel the spirit coming in. So that, of course, they don't think, they never question the formula they're in practicing, they question them. That's the epitome of self-centeredness, to put all the blame on you, yeah? But if something has failed eight or nine times, why would it succeed on the 40th time? <laughs> it may be showing you an example to do what? Save you a lot of time. Saving time is valuable in a place of time, yeah? If you can save some time here, it's pretty valuable. Because time has a very huge uh, influence here. I'm not saying time is real, but it has a very inf a huge influence here. So some of the greatest messages and invitations are based on saving you time. If you can hear it, bingo, you know. Then maybe you won't go down the 34th formula way. Maybe you'll just pause and just see what happens when you give up the ghost. You know? Don't pick up a mental tool. 
Just sit there and see what shows up. Yeah. The thing can't wait you out. You're prior to it. You're not of time. Yeah. So if you believe it's going to stretch out to eternity, that's a story it's telling you. If you sit there in that pause, it's going to run out. Yeah. And you won't. You'll be there still. When it putters out and starts losing its power and its voice starts going down and it's reaching for the old reliables, you know, you're, you're, you're unlovable or whatever fucking thing. And then it just, you know, and then it just putters out. It loses thing. And you're there still. You're the seeing there. Yeah? Why would we want to side with something that's of time, that's finite, when you can trust something infinite, like it says in recovery? Perhaps there's a better way. Instead of trusting something finite, trust something infinite. Yeah. I would say you are of infinity. And then the activity that's producing a sense of you is finite. So you're always going to win. Because you can wait it out. It's sort of like here. In this world, you, as if you're a gunslinger to reality, you've lost. It's always here. It's before you show up. So you're never going to beat it. It's always got to be. Because just before I sit down, it's already here. Yeah? I can't get ahead of it. My head can keep telling me I'm ahead of it, but I can't get ahead of it. Content is never going to get behind the context. Context is seeing or awareness. And what's being seen or being aware of is later in time. Yeah, This is never going to outshoot that. <laughs> so what's the best approach? Surrender. <laughs> Surrender. Give up the ghost, so to speak. See what happens. And then and then be open to, to really like um if it start work starts working, let that translate. Let it hit, you know, instead of but but or make it some other consideration <laughs> that it has to prove itself to you by, you know, removing. No. Like for me, there was a huge demonstration in this experience. I had alcoholism since I was pretty young, probably. You know, the disease, the irritability, restlessness, and discontent. And it started out, you know, just that unease. And then it became a full-on uh, influence in the manifestation. My life was tattooed with it, basically. A lot, of, a lot of the results of my life and destinations were brought about by alcoholism and addiction going into jail and programs and everything like that, and overdosing, getting run over by a car, I was loaded then, all those times. So it had a huge, like almost a permanent tattoo on my life. And then I came into recovery, and that was put to a stop. Yeah. Alcoholism was put to a stop, a sudden halt. I never drank again from March 21st, 1988. And you would think that if this place was a real place, I was looking at a huge, giant uh, crash because I had been, had a lot of momentum going down. I didn't come here on a bottom. I came here on a divine intervention. I had given up. I had already passed the points of bottoms being no thing to trampoline off of. I had accepted every bottom. I was just pissed that I was getting kicked out or evicted from the bottoms I was on and bringing to lower bottoms. And I just didn't know that there was anything low enough not to go. You know, Like they said, the way it hit me with me, my ability to lower my standards wasn't quick enough to, kick, you know, to keep up with the bottom. <laughs> it got to a point where the bottom, it was just kept going. So I had given up hope, and then something occurred, just like a three or four minute download at this trailer park in Calistoga, and it initiated, first it just 
my arm didn't reach for the drink again. And then I got information and I went to a phone booth, which I wasn't thinking of using except for maybe trying to call up a dealer. <laughs> I wasn't thinking of using to call up the program I had been in. And then all these new behaviors showed up and I ended up in a meeting the next day. And I got offered the recovery that's available here. What the hell happened? You know what I mean? So something demonstrated in my life in a really big way because this influence, like they said, it was like it was it was just melded into the fabric of my existence. Alcoholism. I did. There was no separation between alcoholism and me. I was taking myself to be the alcoholism. There was no fucking. There was no not even an inch of light between the two. Yeah. Suddenly, I come into this program. Something that demonstrated, and I've been relieved of that. And that this is a this is a living solution. Yeah, it's 25 years and it's still going. It's like electromagnetism. It feeds itself. It just keeps going, like on and on and on and on and on and on. Yeah? Why, with that demonstration, what more did I need to be convinced? Yeah? The biggest drag in my life that was sending me to places I never wanted to be over and over again, yeah, was removed. Its influence was severely damaged and then completely removed in a little while. Never to return to have much of a say here in this life. What more would I want to? What What do I need to see? A burning bush? You know what I mean? Someone resurrected? I've seen someone resurrected. Myself and other people in AA. I've seen thousands of Lazaruses resurrected through the program of AA. What more do I freaking need? Yeah. So instead of just not knowing at all and having this this divine intervention have some influence, hey, turn around and pay attention to it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I like to be in contact with that. <laughs> I like the knowledge it's informing me with. It's working. I'm not going to jail anymore and all this stuff. And that's just the bottom line. That's just the bottom of the barrel. The joy of its absence is unbelievable. Yeah, Not to be beholden to those thoughts about the past and those speculations about the future. Not to watch your interest and attention. Not to be able to be spent in where you're at because it's beholden to where you are at. Yeah, So that when you seem to be here, it's still empty because there's not much of you here. You've been taken, you've been taken over, you've been hijacked, and you're just dwelling in the past, and you're dwelling in the past called the future. Then you don't give a shit about life, really. Just, you don't feel it. You don't feel happy. You don't feel content. What's the fucking point? Yeah, I'd rather be getting loaded. You know, at least I could get a, a giant. It's like if I if I feel dead, I'd rather jump off a bridge with a bungee cord. Yeah, just at least excite myself for a second of being here. You know, to break through that fifty layers of saran wrap and actually have a sense of being alive. I'll do almost anything. I'll shoot a big giant shot of coke in my neck so it rushes into my brain, my heart so fast, it's like unbelievable. You know? What would cause someone to go to those lengths just to feel alive? They must really believe they're dead, you know. You may not want to admit it, but you there's a sense into you on some level to some degree that you sense you're dead. That something has occupied you like a parasite. That takes you over either quickly or slowly, but it never gives anything back. It just keeps taking. Yeah, it's not like it doesn't. It doesn't take. Once it takes an inch, it's going to take another inch. It doesn't back off. It just takes you, and you're not going to die. 
because it doesn't want to leave, lose its host. It wants to use you for a while. You ever seen some alcoholics? Go to Hate Street. I lived there when I first got sober, and some of the same guys are still on the street drinking every day. Mm-hmm. They're not dying. They got abscesses, limps, everything, but they keep on cooking. They don't have shoes to wear. They don't get colds. They're just living there a freaking day. They're like indestructible. The parasite ain't letting them go. (laughs) We're not that lucky. Most alcoholics aren't that lucky. They don't die, usually. They just keep on keeping on. (laughs) Shit. (laughs) It's so weird because in a way, you know, when you share sometimes... There's such sometimes there's such a reluctance for the people to hear, as if they're holding on to like eight bars of gold. And <laughs> what they're holding on to is like lead, they're sunk in it. <laughs> they, they're like a drowning person, and you're looking at them from the boat and you're telling them, let go, let go, but that's it. They just want my gold. They just want to get to this gold. <laughs> you go, just let go. You you're buoyant, you can float. <laughs> so I found over time in this program that the, the, that the uh, downloads didn't stop just at sobriety. You know? After about my 11th, 12th year, I heard this message. And that opened up a whole other panoramic view that I, before then I had no idea of. And if you have no idea of, you're probably never going to look for it. You know? and, uh, you know. and I was happy being sober. Everything was all right. But this just was like, okay... Hey, this maybe the root of the problem isn't obsessing with self. Maybe that's what the mind's doing to reinforce the identification as a self. Ah, so I've been trying to affect an effect instead of going to the exact nature of the wrong, like it says in AA. I was work I was massaging an effect, which was working a little. I'd get a little bit of peace, you know. But always living in that impending doom of it just growling and taking over because it had that act, it was apt to do that at any minute you know so but then when I got this download about the self I was in the process of teaching doing like a fourth step workshop and I read that chapter how it works in the big book every week for years and I spoke from I used a lot of the sentences in there to try to get a point across suddenly the whole it was like all the meaning of the words shifted dramatically. And then, especially the word self, I saw it as a foreign installment. I really did. I saw it as a parasite. I saw it as something that's foreign to you, that sort of has taken over. Mm-hmm. And then I saw, well, how could such a hostile parasite survive on a knowing host? You know? The host would immediately have a jive to knock it off. Just like if a big bug flew in here and landed on our arms, we wouldn't be thinking about it much. You'd have a reaction of just knocking it off. Why does this hostile parasite very rarely ever get questioned? It has a great strategy. It hijacks, it jacks into the mental process that's producing the self, the sense of self. And it starts informing this mental process that it's the self. Yeah. So now you've got this hostile takeover, but you can't entertain being free from it because you're identified as it. So the best you can do is get therapy, maybe, or try to you know hope that I get a two-month-long relationship, or you know not flip out at the next picnic or whatever, you know, something weird shit, you know, very meager, meager ideas of success because your mind truly can't entertain being free from it. It's only entertaining being free as it, which isn't really working. Because 
You can't be free as a parasite. A parasite has to have something to live. Yeah? But when I... When, as soon as... I swear to God. I swear to God. As soon as I saw it as a foreign installment, instantaneously my mind said, hey, I can be free from it. Instantaneously. Twelve years of working the program, never, never, never entertain that possibility. Never. And suddenly, it hit me, and I swear, timeless download said, hey, I can be free from it. And then it was the case. Yeah? Because if it ain't you, you'll lose interest in it. You will. And the only way it has you, seemingly, is to have your interest. If it doesn't have your attention and interest, it has no life of its own. You have to give you give it your life. And in a sense, it has to be willingly. And so you do through the transfer of identification. You forget what you are, and you, you remember what you're not. It's exactly what's happening. We have forgotten what we are, and we're remembering what we're not. Yeah? Now the thing is, with the forgetting what you are, because you are that, it has to happen quite a lot. Like every day. Yeah? It's not like forgetting where your keys were once. To forget what you are while you're being it is a yeoman's job for the mental process. Because it has to erase all the evidence of beingness manifesting right now, pulsing through this experience. Yeah? So it's, so it says, I've got to remember me all the time. So I've got to make something much more important than now. I've got to build this thing called the past. And this giant infinite field, which isn't infinite, but seemingly infinite field of the future, to occupy myself, to occupy this attention and interest, so that the forgetting of what you are can keep going on. And even when it breaks through, which it does quite a lot, we will rush in so quickly and claim the forgetting of self as an experience that the self has, and we'll just cover up the tracks of our own non-existence, and we'll keep on keeping on. And you know what? It's been working seemingly for many people. All day there's these free samples. The sample is, obviously there's a recognition in some level. Then it's immediately claimed that you're the one who got the sample, which is what the sample was, which was a forgetting of you. <laughs> and when you're forgotten, I'm telling you, something is there. <laughs> well, let's say no thing is there. Because it doesn't come when you're forgotten. It's always been so. That's why it's not a spiritual disease. It's a mental disease. When the mental condition of disease is diminished, the spirituality is seen. Yeah? When it's totally obsessed with itself, which means it's like a fire that's being stoked, all the day when there's the obsession with self, you're stoking the fire to keep this furnace going of the identification of self. When that's going on, that mental condition can seemingly block you off from the acknowledgement or the knowledge of your own condition. It can actually do it, but it can seem to do it. It can only seem to do it in time, but we're seemingly in time here. So it can be pretty successful. It can actually pull it off Well, you'll forget it for maybe 80 years. Yeah? And maybe you'll remember it at the moment of death. Yeah? Who knows? But it, it's, it can do that in time. Of course, the solution is timeless. Yeah? So it's sort of saying, hey, perhaps there's a better way. Instead of trusting something finite, which is of time, we will trust something infinite, which is timeless. Yes? You are of time, the mental process of remembering you, 
you are of timelessness, that's what you are. You can seem to be one, but you're always the other. You're always. That's why it's so good. It doesn't say, well, you got to forget the self and then remember who you are. It just says self-forget. When you forget the self, that's it. Because you're going to remember, not remember, you're going to sense what you are. Because it's so, it doesn't need to be remembered. Yeah? It doesn't need to be remembered because it's so. Yeah? You wouldn't need to remember something if it was right here. Yeah, all the time. There would be no need to remember it. You only need to remember it when it doesn't appear to be so all the time. Then you remember it, it's, it appears to be so all the time. The remembrance, it's like Ramana said, you have a thorn in your foot, yeah, which is the remembrance of self. Okay? Now we use this other thorn, forgetting the self. When the, you take out the other thing, you don't put, put this in to replace it. What, as soon as you forget the self, the sense of what you are becomes obvious. Yeah? So one thorn, the other thorn takes it out, so there's a remembrance of self, we use the thorn of forgetting of self, and then you are that. That's that. You sense it. Now, you don't have memories of it, and you don't have speculations of, how, oh, how's my spirit going to do in five years? That's the, the most absurd idea of thought line. I'm really, I'm concerned about my spirit five years from now. I wonder what shape it's going to be in. Exactly the shape it's in right now. <laughs> That's the shape it's going to be in. <laughs> I'm really concerned, really, in my spirit. See, if it was a spiritual disease, we'd be fucked. <laughs> we really would. But it isn't a spiritual disease. It's a mental disease. Yeah. Which covers up the spirit, the quote, if you want to use the word spirit, it covers that up. It appears not to be so to us. And when it's appearing, oh, it is so to me, I'm working at being conscious, and but I have this real fail-safe feeling that I'm unconscious, that's not working for you. You have this sense of consciousness, but it's been totally hijacked. So, that in that sense, consciousness is used to hide consciousness. Yeah. You believe it's a quality you have, that's the, it's using to, to hide the state of consciousness that has nothing to do with you. Yeah? So, some people who are trying to become more conscious, and they're really devoted to it, in one level, they're actually totally unconscious to the actual state of consciousness. Mm. Yeah? They're very conscious as something they're, they're producing and working hard at, so refining and you know, sharpening and like that. And they can, get, they can have a lot of experiences here, but I still don't believe that's, that's so. I don't believe a spiritual experience leads to a spiritual awakening. I don't. I think you can have tons of spiritual experiences and it may not translate to a spiritual awakening. But a spiritual awakening infuses your experiences. And you sometimes... And what is a spiritual experience anyway? And what makes a spiritual experience different than another experience? It's just you're giving it the meaning? If you are spirit, I, I would say that every experience is a spiritual experience. Yeah? No matter what the head's saying. But the head loves to say, oh, this is a normal experience, like I walked the dog. I had a spiritual experience, I went to this meeting today, and we meditated a lot. Then I had the normal, I was watching TV, that's quite normal experience. So I'm, I'm totaling up my, my experiences for today. Uh, 20 spiritual experiences. <laughs> that's pretty good, because there's only, I was, I, my quota, my, my goal was 22, so I got close. <laughs> 850 normal experiences. <laughs> but the graph's looking good. I'm getting better. I'm progressing. Yesterday was only 10 spiritual experiences. 
Who's telling you? Who's informing you it's a spiritual experience? The head, usually. <laughs> Against you relying on the problem. The problem is defining what's a spiritual experience or not. Can you give me a... Come on. Yeah. Isn't it? Is there any is there any committee or like a bureau you can go to verify like notary public? I got a I got an experience. I want to get it notarized. Is it a spiritual experience? Some old guy with a beard. Okay, okay, go ahead. And then you go around. I had a valid. Look at it. It's been notarized by Baba something. You know? I'm going to bring this one in tomorrow. Oh yes, yes. Here's ten bucks. Oh yeah, yeah. Buy the buy my little magazine. Oh yeah, there you go. Spiritual experience. Go out now. Start teaching. <laughs> You've had enough spiritual experience. Start teaching. Get your little, get your little like stamp and your little ink thing. Oh, yes, I'm gonna. Yes, you're doing really good. No, no, no. <laughs> your eyes are right today. No, rise that. It's like, of course, we say it's unhealers healing you. <laughs> so it's sooner or later. It's not a spiritual experience or a spiritual experience. It's like an unspoken yes in you, you know? Just like you have a feeling that this is so. Ride that, man. Ride it. Ride it as far as it will take you. Yes? How many times in your life have you felt really authentic about something? You know? Like for me, this was an unspoken yes. It didn't seem to be swayed by much conditioning or something, because my conditioning was looking at spirituality as a road of doing, you know? of meditating more and of doing more exercises and standing in postures longer. This idea of relinquishing all that didn't didn't uh, sell well in my head. But when I heard it, it sort of paralyzed my mental process. My pants fell down, and for some reason I didn't pick them back up. And then I got used, got used to living with my pants down. You know, I didn't fuck. You know? And the, my spiritual practices went down... <laughs> down the tube. <laughs> you know what I mean? I swear. And it was really, it was weird because I had, it was only, it was one of the only pegs I could hang my hat. I was a house painter, but I wasn't too good at that. Really, I wasn't. I lost interest. Now I'm blind. I can't even see what I'm painting. But I refuse to wear glasses. So I come back with glasses. There's holidays everywhere. I couldn't. <laughs> but, but my spiritual identity was pretty good. I'd been to India. I mean, I had the resume. India a couple of times. Saw some big gurus. <laughs> Thailand doing Buddhist retreats. Oh yeah, I had a good. So I had my hat there, and that peg was taken out. They didn't give me a chance to take my hat off. They just ripped the peg out. <laughs> and it was like, what? I mean, and I was at a meeting when it really hit me. A medita- not a meditation, a Buddhist meeting. I was like, fuck. <laughs> well, how am I going to fill all my time? <laughs> Seriously, what am I going to do with myself? <laughs> I can't even, that was the last place I was accruing value was spiritual practices. <laughs> take that out from under. And then you see the whole system. The thing can collapse. Yeah, if one just one beam is removed, the whole the whole house of cards is affected. Yeah, and when it collapses, instead of having all these mental temples built on you on your possibility or on your ground, that becomes the sacred ground, just as it is the space of your day. Yeah. There's no high-end yogi when it comes to the dog shit awareness. There isn't. You're just 
in the sense of dogshit awareness, you have a total unfiltered sense of onness just happening constantly. And for me, that's more than enough. I love these old Zen things. There's a guy, I was using this in Toronto, where they say, you know, okay, you're you're using activity to to get to stillness, but isn't that activity? Hmm. You know what I mean? They always fuck you, don't they? (laughs) You think you're doing good, but you're fucked. And then then you do it, you try to do it in a different way. You're fucked too. And then, like Wang Po says, you know, if you use mind to seek the mind, you'll be doing it for eons and nothing will happen. (laughs) What what happened in a week? No, eons. Ages. You guys. (laughs) Get it? It ain't working. If you use the Buddha to seek the Buddha, it won't work. If you use light to seek light, it won't work. Yeah? If you're seeking light, you must assume that you're something other than light. Obviously. Yeah? So the value would be to question that instead of the question, how, how can I speed up this finding light? Yeah? I would much rather see what's this, what's this, what is this sense that I'm determined, that everything's being determined on? Am I that? Because if you're not, I'll tell you, everything is resting on that. The whole system of self-centeredness rests on self. That's why it's called self-centeredness. The whole system, the whole enchilada rests on that. So instead of trying to go over every of every ingredient and trying to change the formulation of the burrito, you know, of, in the system of self, just get to the self. Mm. Question that. Am I that? If you're not that... The interest and attention that's fueling, that's actually the living sun of the system, right? Gets that gets dispatched to go somewhere else, and then the system is seen, but not seen from. You see it. Mm-hmm. You see its making and its reinforcement, and yet it's not grabbing much attention anymore because it's not about you. Literally, mm-hmm. it's not about you. And then you say, what's all about you is the seeing of this right now. That's all there is about you. That little seeming event of the seeing of this moment is the doorway to that infinite space. By just acknowledging the sensing the seeing of this moment, be it through whatever gate, feeling, tasting, touching, seeing thoughts, yes, sensing feelings, whatever you want, it's all seeing. That seeing is what you are. Yeah. So when your attention goes through the scene, there's an infinite space to entertain. When it goes to what's seen, it's very finite. And you're only going to entertain the past when you see anything here from selfing. It's going to immediately take the experience from this moment and refer it back to a past idea. That's how it enslaves us. Yeah. And then by entertaining it in the past, what's remembered? You. But if the, if the attention's on the seeing, then the attention goes backward to the source of the seeing. And I believe, I don't know, but I believe there ain't no end of the source of the seeing. Yeah? So you can have a very incredible sense of contentment in just a mundane moment at 12.30 on a Saturday in Marin. Because the mind is resting in its own nature. Clear... 
unblemished by what's happening, what happened, what will happen. Very, very bright. It's the perfect place for the mind to rest its head, so to speak, because it doesn't have a head. It can rest within that. And of course, it translates here. You'll travel lighter today. And that's what you're really looking for, I believe. If you were really traveling lighter, I bet all the other searches would be called off. <laughs> you just realize, why would I want to put this on to lifetimes ahead? <laughs> just, I just want to feel comfortable today with you and with the situation of it. Yeah. And most of us can't as a self, yeah, because we're not in this situation. It refers back to past situations that we were uncomfortable with, yeah? And then it speculates on future situations that are going to be worse than this. Yeah. It can't help itself. The mental present isn't present at all. It's filled with there and then. It's filled with past and future. That's what it calls the mental present. Yeah. You'll, it'll use this backdrop as to verify that it's present, but it has nothing to do with this right now. It has to do with a past idea, tons of past ideas. The mental present is full of there and then. You can't be here in the mental present. You're there and then. That's what's being here in the mental present, is there and then. There's no fucking way. So, yeah. Any questions today? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. So, the, the uh, I kind of look at it like a parasite analogy. Is it like, uh, it's kind of like worldwide in this in the selfing in the sense of selfing yeah. and uh, kind of like a virus that yeah. feel that's kind of taken over the world in a sense I mean there's well yeah well there isn't any world to take over but yeah it's taken over the it's a, it's having a large influence on the mind here yeah, yeah. so the this the dreaming of this place is interpreted in a certain way that uh, has self as its center so let's say there's self-centeredness and then there's alcoholism what's alcoholism but an extreme subdivision of self-centeredness yeah because this place of manifestation is degrees yeah so if you look at a little puddle it's sort of like the same thing as a big lake yeah it's just the degrees yeah you see a little fern one one leaf of a fern it replicates the whole fern yeah so everything is degrees here that's all. You see a hill and a mountain that are basically the same look, but it's just it's just uh, perspective, yeah, just degrees. So the mind is just is playing in degrees, the head selfing. So there's let's say a very extreme subdivision of self centeredness is alcoholism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's influencing tons of people all around the world. And before 1935, there was no solution to it. None. They had a lobotomy. They had, like, put Uncle Fred in the attic. They had jail. They had insane asylums. But even, there's a church we do a talk at, and one night they had the Psalms opened up, and me and Deb were reading it, and it was talking about the impossibility of dealing with winos, even in the Old Testament. They didn't know what to fucking do with us. (laughs) The other people. There was no solution. Literally. Yeah. And then something happened... A possibility that hadn't been entertained showed up, you know, was brought to us by two guys, Dr. Bob and Bill W., and now it's spread, and now there's like, I don't know how many 
programs that use the 12 steps of AA. Tons of them to try to alleviate some of the intense mental pressure of that disease of self-centeredness. Does it have value? It sure does here. If somebody, like the other day we had that turkey event, Thanksgiving at at, uh, Strawberry, this place nearby, there was over 400 people there. Yeah, tons of great meeting, tons of turkey, tons of food. Can you imagine those 400 people drinking and using? I would have loved to follow their day if there was 400 of us let loose on a Thanksgiving day in like a small town. It would create an incredible, unbelievable amount of damage and suffering and reverberations that could have lasted lifetimes. Yet here were all these people, like perfect reclamation projects, all happy in a way, everyone was sort of working it, doing service, feeding a lot of people, just an incredible thing, all brought there by the umbrella of recovery. So it's fucking mind-boggling. So, yeah, there's value here in things that relieve the bondage of self. Well, we're talking about maybe a radical freedom from it, you know? If you got a little taste of what it's like to be freed from it, but you're still there's still that sense of going back in and coming for going back in, maybe there's another thing to entertain that could be radically <coughs> life-changing for you, that you could actually get to a point where you could entertain, hey, I can be actually free of this. Yeah, And it's not like it's anything to be free from. The freedom is represented by your lack of interest in it. You just forget it. Really. Yeah, mm-hmm. You're not constantly remembering it. You just start forgetting it. This becomes more important than there and then. Yeah, This becomes more important than what your head is talking about this. <laughs> this becomes the dominant stamp because it's happening. And it has the ability to give you immunity to what's not happening. Because it's happening. <laughs> That's the only quality that it needs to demonstrate. This is happening right now. I am. We're in this room, and da, da, da. this is a pretty damn good anchor. Yeah, just to acknowledge that. And so, while the the swaying and the sucking in and out of the past mental realms and the future mental realms, you'll have an immunity to it. And the more you stay out of it, the less you'll be interested in it. Seriously, you'll re- you just realize the fucking pointlessness of it. It's extremely pointless. It has a point for its own survival, but it's truly pointless in the living of things. Yeah? Yeah. You'll have enough of a self to recognize when someone says, Hey, Paul, here's some money. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. You'll notice that. You'll have a workable presentation of being Paul, but you won't be up its ass anymore. Yeah? And if you've ever been up there, the relief from being out of it is really great. <laughs> I mean, I just, I am so thankful every day when I wake up that uh, man, just the state I used to start up the day before was unbelievable. That was the worst when I first got sober, was the anxiety in the morning when I woke up. Because I said, another fucking day with me driving? I was fucking scared shit. <laughs> I mean, I ended up in... I got hit by... When you get hit by a car, you don't know you're going to get hit by it until like a second. You don't even know until you get hit, yeah? So we were walking around thinking, oh, how bad can it get? Well, in my life, it got really bad all quickly, all of a sudden, a number of times. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like being on a 13-day run and then the cops arresting us, you know? My girlfriend calling the cops... And they're waiting for us as we're coming down the apartment of my dealer's house. 
and she she knows what's going to happen. I don't. And the cops rush in, and I'm arrested. I mean, it was like a fucking that was hell, man. So wired up, and then the E50 Bryant coming down. Oh. Uh, she slapped me in the face too. I drove her so crazy. Drove her so crazy. I was handcuffed, and then once once she knew I was handcuffed, she slapped me as hard as she before they took me away. <laughs> this is my girlfriend. I can imagine what would have happened for people who uh, were my enemies. <laughs> it was like my rubber band of mine got so pulled and then snapped. How many times can you handle that until you don't come back? You know what I mean? People, I know people who. Uh, who were pros, they got the grace of recovery and then they went back out and they overdosed that weekend. And they were pros. They'd been shooting up for their whole life. And yet, the first weekend out, they're dead by Saturday. Friday night, Saturday morning, they're found dead in the apartment. So, like, something happened. The grace wasn't there. So, I do believe in honoring what's been given to us. Mm -hmm. You know, if something has really relieved you, of a, a lot of trouble, I would honor it at least. The lowest level is just to honor it. You know, like, yeah. yeah. Because, uh, yeah, well, we're in that community. You see it all the time. I see people who, uh, yeah, well, we're in that community.